You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For you this evening, if you've got a church Bible on page 1006 this evening, and our text is Mark chapter 4, verse 26. To 34. It's Mark chapter 4, verse 26 to 34, page 1006 of the Church Bible. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray together. Our great God and our loving Father, may you incline our hearts to your word this evening and not to anything else this world has to offer us. May you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word this evening. May you unite our hearts in reverent fear of you and satisfy our hearts in your steadfast love. We ask and pray these things in the name of Christ our King. Amen. Let me ask you a question as we get going this evening. If you were a king or a queen and you were going to grow your kingdom, what would your tactic be? Some of you may have seen uh, the new Hobbit film over the Christmas holidays. I'm a fan of the Hobbits. And uh, the new film, The Battle of the Five Armies. And you can guess what happens. There's a battle and five armies. Last about two hours or so. And they're all fighting for this one place of strategic importance. But throughout the film, one army is the clear favorite. The one which is the biggest the most determined, the one that came with surprise and came with the most force. See, this army in the film was actually the army of the evil orcs. Let's be honest, though, they are the clear favorites because in many ways they have the best strategy. He who has the biggest stick wins. Ask any schoolboy, they know that. I wonder if we were a king or queen and we wanted to grow our kingdom, would that be our strategy? What would it be, perhaps? Look with me in Mark's gospel and turn back to chapter 1, verse 15. Here we've got the first words of Jesus, and he proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. What's your tactic, Jesus? What is your strategy, King Jesus? Well, what we see in the gospel is this plan unfolding before our very eyes. And so from that point, we see Jesus going around preaching and healing, and he calls 12 men to be his disciples. 
And here in chapter 4, we find this dense section of teaching and parables as he prepares to send these 12 men out to preach also. And what he's doing is liking that to the kingdom, to its growth. He's comparing telling people the gospel with sowing seeds, where the seed is the gospel. And Jesus says, this is how the kingdom grows. This is how my kingdom grows. That as people hear and believe the word, they enter into his kingdom, which means coming under his rule, submitting their lives to him and having hope of life to come. It doesn't just mean accepting Jesus as your savior, but also as your king. And I think we might get that, that Jesus is our king in one sense, but sort of lost nowadays. We don't have a monarchy in the sense that these guys here do. We don't really get the whole king thing, but Jews listen to Jesus. They understand their whole king and kingly concept. Look at the start of chapter 4. There's a big crowd here. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, and the crowd that gathered there, this whole group of people understand this king idea. They know of the one they used to have, their great King David, the height of power and prosperity under Solomon. And they longed for the promised king to come. But here they are under the imperial thumb of the Roman Empire. Or perhaps think about the 12 disciples, ordinary Jewish men waiting for this kingdom to come. And this man, Jesus, rocks up onto the scene and says, the kingdom is near, repent and believe the good news. And so these 12 men follow the strange man from Nazareth who does some amazing things and says some stranger things. Yet so far, the only thing he has to show for it is this 12 bunch of men. Yet perhaps the disciples think, this is it. This Jesus guy is something different about him. God's reign and rule in Jerusalem, it's coming. A king, and, and Jesus is the king. He's the one. He's going to force out the Romans. God's going to triumph once again. And somehow, I don't know how, but this man, Jesus, is going to do it. But Jesus, how will you do all this? You've got nothing. You've got no home. You stay at Peter's house. We have no political power, no armies, no numbers. How is your kingdom possibly going to grow? And it's into this mindset here that Jesus speaks these two parables. Two parables, two points. First, it is surprising that we wait for the kingdom to grow. That's our first parable. And the second one, it is surprising how big the kingdom will grow. Look with me at the first parable here in verse 26. We've got an ordinary looking story about a farmer. He's sowing some seeds and they grow and there's a harvest. Perfectly ordinary. We can understand this. But when reading the parables, we should ask, what here seems to be unordinarily emphasized? What point does Jesus seem to be drawing our attention to? Well, look on at verse 27. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Well, of course it does, Jesus. Isn't that obvious? That's what happens when you sow seeds. They grow. And we know that a seed's growth isn't dependent when someone sleeps. But what Jesus wants us to see here is what this man's doing. He's going to bed. He wakes up. He goes to bed. It goes on. This is his contribution to the kingdom of God. Sleeping. But Jesus isn't done here. The man sleeps, gets up. The seed grows. And look at the end of verse 27. The sower doesn't know how it's grown. 
And then to reiterate the point again, look in verse 28. The seed produces all by itself. In the Greek, it's automate, where we get to automatic. There is no help needed from the farmer at all in growing the seed. And as I say this, I can almost feel the burning eyes from the millers over here, our farmers in the congregation. We understand there's more to farming, don't we? There's MPK, fertilizers, weather, tools, qualities, properties, types of soil. We get farming, it's more than sowing and sleeping. Jesus gets that. But he's got a point here though, doesn't he? The farmer sows the seed and waters it and lets it grow. He doesn't go out and dig around in the soil, rearrange the cells in the seed and pull up a stalk. The seed grows by itself because the germinating power to grow is in the seed, not in the farmer. It is in the gospel, not the gospel messenger. Isn't that wonderful news for us this evening? Isn't that liberating news? What I'd like us to do is take a few minutes to think about what we mean by the kingdom of God. We mean to change some of our language about the kingdom. Sometimes we speak about building the kingdom. We speak about kingdom work. In one sense, that is legitimate with regards to speaking of the work that's in line with the values of the kingdom. Things that show that we belong to it and are doing it for the sake of the kingdom of God. We need to banish from our heads any idea that we build, expand, or establish the kingdom. The Bible never talks in those terms. We sow the seed, the kingdom is what God brings forth. I find the New Testament scholar George Eldon Ladd helpful in understanding the, uh, understanding the kingdom of God. He says this, The supernatural character of the present kingdom is confirmed by the words found in association with it. A number of verbs are used with the kingdom itself as the subject. And he's got scripture references for all of these here. He says, The kingdom can draw near to men. It can come, arrive, appear, be active. God can give the kingdom to men, but men do not give the kingdom to one another. Further, God can take the kingdom away from men, but men do not take it away from one another, although they can prevent others from entering it. Men can enter the kingdom, but are never said to erect it or to build it. Men can receive the kingdom, inherit it, and possess it, but are never said to establish it. Men can reject the kingdom, i.e. refuse to receive it or enter it, but they cannot destroy it. They can look for it, pray for its coming, and seek it, but they cannot bring it. Men can preach the kingdom, but only God can give it to men. The kingdom of God is entirely the work of God. But we need a caution here. There is a way we can abuse this. We don't need to use our brains as a church. We don't need to work hard. We don't need strategy. We don't need to do any of those things. Well, I'm not sure that's true, to be honest. I think we are to work hard, labor hard. I think we do need to plan and need structures. Those things all matter. But we must remember the liberating reality that is all about sowing, about getting the gospel out. We can risk stumbling into all sorts of trouble when we think our work is to do with actually growing the kingdom of God. That's entirely God's work. See, parables can seem mysterious at first. Once you get the main points, often they're quite straightforward. I don't think Jesus here could have stated any more emphatically that the seed is the word of God that grows slowly on its own. 
does it slowly look at the text. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain ripe in the ear. Yeah, I'm not sure about you, but I, to be honest, I really struggle with that. I get it intellectually. Perhaps you're like me. You've invited your friends to an event where they hear the gospel. Perhaps you've told neighbors, colleagues, friends the gospel. What feels like hundreds of times. And yet there's nothing. They seem totally unchanged. Bear with me in this one here. But when you plant a seed in some soil... How different does it look? Well, nothing. The seed still, the seed, the soil still is, well, soily really, if that's a word. But we trust that the seed we've planted will grow. And the word of God when shared with someone is very often the same. We sow it, and they look the same. But we trust that the seed will grow and sprout. See, for some people, the seed of the word may sprout forth seemingly immediately. For others, it may lay dormant for years. It may even serve to harden the soil, harden the hearts of those talking to you. But the word of the Lord is never uttered in vain. God always has purposes for it. And this is why preaching in church is central. This is why our aim in children's work here is not child-minding or entertaining so parents can listen to the sermon. Rather, our aim is to teach them the Bible. And teaching the children or, or anyone in the Bible can often be tiring. It just seems like you're going through the usual routine. There's seemingly no difference in the lives of those you teach. Perhaps you've experienced this, teaching children or Christianity explored. But take heart in this parable. It doesn't guarantee us that everyone who hears the gospel will be saved, but it gives us hope that some will. As one preacher said, the seed that we plant may lie under the ground until we do and then spring up. Yet sometimes you do have the joyous occasion of seeing the fruit of a seed that you've sown. Before Amy and I uh, moved back to Dundee, I'm sure some of you know that we used to be in Edinburgh, and I did a training program in the church there. And when I first moved to Edinburgh, there was uh, an older lady in the congregation that made a beeline for straight away. And why did you do that? Well, because she was my mum's Sunday school teacher. She taught my mum about Jesus and where's the fruit of that seed? Well, my mum's a Christian today. Now I am from her teaching me the gospel. And yet there'll be people here also in this congregation show who've told their children the gospel time after time. And there's nothing. Don't forget, it is surprising that we wait for the kingdom to grow. Don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying that they will become a Christian. That's for God in his sovereignty. But this parable gives us hope that the seed may still yet grow. As it has done lives of people here in this room, we've wandered for year after year after year, and then the seed takes root and they're saved. The seed did it all, not them. Think for a moment. How many sermons have you heard in your life? That's a good question, isn't it? How many sermons have you heard in your life? Now, how many can you really remember? Five, ten maybe? How many Bible studies have you sat through? How many of those can you actually remember? Or think about food. How many meals have you had? 
How many meals can you remember? Not many, yet here you are. You've grown. Apply it to a Christian life. You sat through many meals being fed the word of God, yet here you are. The seed has grown within you. Look at the end of verse 29. Just think about what it says. From that slow, growing seed, there will be a harvest. I found that massively encouraging. From that seemingly foolish seed that we've waited, we've put our hopes on, there comes a harvest. And that really encouraged me in a few weeks' time, um, off speaking in Glasgow for the University CU Events Week. And to be honest, I'm quite terrified about that. I'm really anxious about it. Mainly because I forget it's God who saves, not me. I go out thinking, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. That's not my job. My job is to share the gospel. It is God who saves. Listen to what the reformer Martin Luther has to say. A man whose preaching turns Europe upside down. This is what he has to say about his preaching. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Phillips and Amsdorf, the word so greatly worked, I did nothing. The word did everything. It's not striking. Even the great Martin Luther says that he did nothing. The word did everything. See, the heart of man is made to hear the word of God and be confident that there will be a harvest because God has said he will do it. This harvest won't be seen in the days of the disciples here, so Jesus encourages them not to expect one, but instead to see it at the end of the days. See, what we see in this parable is that Jesus has always been on track with bringing forth his kingdom, not through the ways of the world, but instead through the way of his word, slowly growing in the hearts of those who have ears to hear. It's surprising that we wait for the kingdom to grow. Second, let's look at our second parable. It's surprising how big the kingdom will grow. Let me read for us again, verse 30 to 34. Again, Jesus said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. Here we have the kingdom of God being compared to a mustard seed, probably the smallest seed known at the time. So small, in fact, there are 700 seeds in one gram. This is a classic passage where you hear some critics of the Bible saying things like, well, there's seeds that are smaller than a mustard seed, therefore you can't trust the Bible. Well, it's just a saying comparing something to tiny mustard seeds. It's like saying that when we're looking for something, it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Technically, it's harder to find a contact lens in a haystack, but the whole needle thing still works. We get that. But this mustard seed, though, is a tiny seed and grows when sown. Look at verse 32, to be the biggest of garden plants. In fact, it can grow up to 10 foot and birds can nest in it and you can sit under it and have shade in it. See, from small to big, that's the point Jesus is making about the kingdom here. There's a reason why Jesus uses language that he does in verse 32. It's almost identical to language elsewhere in the Bible. 
In Daniel chapter 4, please do feel free to look this up in your own time. In chapter 4, verses 20 to 22, we see the same language being used. And here King Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream and he gets Daniel to explain this dream to him. And he says that he'll be a mighty king and his empire will be seen across the entire globe. And what Jesus is doing is picking up on this imagery and he says that this is what his kingdom is going to be like. Maybe small now, but one day it will exceed King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Though it starts with a tiny, seemingly insignificant, weak-looking mustard seed, it will expand to fill the whole earth. Through the sowing of this foolish-looking seed, God's kingdom will grow. People will be added to it. And yet we doubt this, don't we? I know I, for one, doubt this. I don't know about you, but I've been, being brutally honest here, been thinking, who, who can I invite to Christianity Explored? And I'm scared because I think it's just a weak gospel message. They aren't going to come. I'm going to get laughed at. I mean, we feel daft. How is this weak little message actually going to do anything? The question comes up tomorrow over coffee or perhaps on a golf course or every day on a Monday. What did you get up to the weekend? And we pause. Because I feel like if we told them that we were at church, let alone what the sermon was about or how good it was to rest with the people there, they might laugh at us, give us the cold shoulder, think we're a bit weird. We think the small mustard seed doesn't work. But it does though, doesn't it? Just look around. I mean, the present day church must be bigger than what any of those 12 disciples could ever have imagined. An unbroken history for 2,000 years. Believers in every continent, churches over the globe. The words the apostles wrote down in hundreds of languages. Could they ever have dared to imagine such impressive growth from something so small? I mean, the fortunes of the kingdom will ebb and flow at different times, but we can be assured of its final victory. What news for the disciples here to encourage them as they go out and share the gospel? And what news also for us that Jesus is right on track in bringing forth his kingdom? See, the growth of God's kingdom is sort of like when you watch sports but you're busy. You plan to watch match of the day when you go home or some highlights on BBC iPlayer and you don't want to know what the score is. Then someone tells you and you're a bit gutted about it. But you go on and you watch it anyway, and through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, you can watch that match in full confidence, knowing how it turns out. And this is how we're to see God's kingdom. We know that come the end, Jesus wins and, we, and he will have his kingdom. Things may get pretty rough, and I don't know how things will turn out each day, except that people will be added to his kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel, through the sowing of this tiny seed. See, God will guard, give, and grow his kingdom. Of this we can be sure. So don't try to build that which you can only receive. But do not hold back that which you have to sow. As Scottish minister Horatius Bonner said, it's not opinions that man needs, it's truth. It's not theology, it's God. It's not religion, it's Christ. It's not literature and science, but the knowledge of the free love of God and the gift of his only begotten Son. The message seems feeble. We feel feeble. We might be tempted to cut corners, try something else, try some quick new miracle grow fix. 
See, these temptations might be real for some of us, but look at the promised fruitfulness here. In all of these parables in chapter 4, the fruitfulness is of miracle proportions. Just look at verse 32. Yet when planted, this tiny seed, what's that, one seven hundredth of a gram, this tiny seed grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. That is miraculous that something so huge can come from something so small. See, the effectiveness of the church's ministry depends fully in the fruitfulness of God's word. Put our hope in it, and we may be surprised, but we won't be disappointed. We can work so, so hard and think, God, is your heart really in this work? Are you really behind it? Why won't you fight your corner? Grow your kingdom. And then we might worry that we've missed some vital greeting, but these parables assure us that God's heart is in his work. To keep on sowing, be faithful to that. Is it really conceivable that God could let the magnificent work of his son go unnoticed? Well, no, of course not. See, the kingdom of God is advancing all over the world just as the way King Jesus said it would. Through the wastage of scattering seeds, verse 1 to 20, through waiting for the kingdom to grow, verse 26 to 29, and through the weakness of the tiny seed that has grown, verse 30 to 34. They aren't our tactics, are they, if we were to grow a kingdom? The tactics of King Jesus. See, the new Hobbit film, The Evil Orcs, don't win. Rather, the dwarves do because of one pivotal moment. The hero, Bilbo Baggins, says to Gandalf, the dwarves, they're rallying. And Gandalf replies, they're rallying to their king. They rally to their king and win the battle following him. So will we rally to our king, follow him and his tactics, follow our king, the king of glory, and follow him as he grows his kingdom all over this world with unstoppable force through the sowing of this tiny seed? See, the kingdom of God hasn't gone the way that we might have chosen, but it's gone the way of of our king, the way of the seed, and in that we have two comforts. First, that Jesus said that it would progress like this, What we have found in our experiences is true, is what he said would happen. It authenticates our experience as normal. Isn't that encouraging? It encourages us to never move on to some new thing, but to hold fast to telling people the gospel, whatever temptations we meet. And what's the two things that have to stem off from that? Well, first, it's got to drive us to prayer, doesn't it? If you believe it's God's work, we have to come to him in prayer, come needy to him and raise him up as the glorified king. And in doing so, the growth of his kingdom can't be anything down to us, but entirely his glory and his alone. And our second comfort is that we have every reason to believe that the kingdom's small beginnings are no measure for the harvest to come. For that shall be of miracle proportions. After the harvest, there'll be a crop so big from a seed so small, no man will be able to number it. No one will be missing who God has not called to be there. And on that day... We will care not one bit that it took so long for that crop to grow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are the risen King. We thank you for saving us. 
for bringing us to yourself and sending us back out into the world to tell others of you. We thank you for the joy this is, the privilege this is. And you have not sent us out alone. You are with us by your Holy Spirit. May we have confidence in your word, have confidence in you. For we thank you for saving us. We thank you that we have got a gospel to proclaim. So Lord Jesus, may you give us opportunities this week to share the gospel with others. May you give us at least one opportunity every day to respond to the situation that's coming in front of us. Give us the words to say, the power to say it by your Holy Spirit and for your glory and for their joy to be everlasting in you. And may the voice they hear not be ours, but your voice, the voice of the great shepherd calling them from death to life. Jesus, we ask all these things before our Father, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.